Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5, yes. to the end zone. Touchdown, and a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning, fading shot. Up, gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast, where you can find all the work we do regarding the Brewers, Bucks, and Packers on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. As always, I am joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is a host of the Packers Trilogy podcast and also one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast, but is here to talk Brewers baseball with me here today. So we will jump right into it. Today we're going to focus a little bit more on the infield than we have most of the offseason, especially with the, the signing of Brock Holt announced late last week or early last week excuse me as you're listening to this we'll maybe touch a little bit on the starting pitchers and then we'll get to our twitter questions so before we get to all that trevor how are you doing today uh i i'm doing okay not not great i was doing great until after my workout today and i just feel like shit now so other than that I'm excited to talk some Brewers baseball. I'm excited there's Brewers baseball back. That's always exciting. Um, and I honestly can't wait to get to opening weekend. Yeah, me too. It's for lots of reasons, <laughs> not just because <laughs> meaningful baseball will be back, but opening weekend's going to be pretty fun for us in case you haven't heard. Uh, the Brewer tickets that I ordered for my bachelor party came in the mail today, and 22 tickets laid out all in front of me like... That's a shitload of tickets. <laughs> I was mesmerized just kind of playing with them all. You had to get a hard on after that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was going to roll around in my bed naked with them. But, you know. Nah, I'm just kidding. Gay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people do that with money. And I don't have a lot of money, so I might as well do it with these tickets. So. Oh, I can't think of his name. But, like, the guy on Breaking Bad, I think it's Dan. Where he just lays on the money in the storage shed. <laughs> Goals. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Goals. <laughs> anyway, side rant. Let, let's get to, to something exciting. The Brewers made another blockbuster deal. Just kidding. Signing Brock Holt last week. And you guessed it. One-year deal with a club option for 2021. So this year, Brock Holt will get paid $3.5 million. He has a club option for $5 million in 21, just a $750,000 buyout in there. There are some plate appearance uh, incentives. He gets an extra 250000 at 400 plate appearances, 425 and then 450 So when I first saw this, I figured, okay, Brock Holt, I, I, a lot of Brewer fans wanted him earlier in the year. I was like, okay. I kind of expected us to maybe DFA one of our other infielders, but no, it was Taylor Williams. 
he got DFA'd and then claimed by the Mariners. So let's dive into this, Trevor. What are your thoughts on the signing? I mean, overall, I like it. It's very David Stearns-esque, right? One year on a player who can do just about anything, and if he plays well enough, maybe he can get a second year. Um, That very much seems like what David Stearns loves to do. If you haven't figured that out already, looking at the player himself, last year he had a pretty good year. Um, Granted, he didn't reach those numbers you were talking about in terms of at-bats. He had 259 last year. And but he did bat uh, 297, had 31 RBIs, hit an on-base percentage about 370, slugging over 400, OPS of 771. So if he comes in and does that, but he is you know closer to, I don't know that 400, 450 ish at bat range. I think that that's a win, especially at the number that David Stearns was able to sign him at at. 3.5 mil um and if he contributes and we get him back for another year i think it was another one of those i i know we talked about it on a previous podcast the raising the floor of this team not necessarily the ceiling um type of signing and not breaking the bank for it because david stearns for those types of players isn't going to break the bank and he is going to give them kind of a prove it deal um to try to get them more money in the second year if they prove that they deserve that type of money so overall i like it um in terms of taylor williams i i don't think that's a huge loss for this team this uh pitching staff I don't think it's a huge loss so overall I really do like the move yeah I think he nailed it on the head especially in terms of plate appearances I mean if he does reach that far you're right it is a win for the Brewers because I mean the only time he's he's only in his career over eight years he's only logged over 400 plate appearances twice so if he does that this year that means he stepped up in a big big way and yeah that'd be great um and but it, it is just kind of weird the weird part of the signing I think a was the timing I think Brock Holt just really wanted to go back to be a Red Sox and well Red Sox said we're moving on for whatever reason <laughs> and then the b the second weird part is there's a lot of comparisons between him and Eric Sogard and people view Holt as a more valuable player than Eric Sogard but Eric Sogard is getting paid what, a million dollars, a little over a million dollars more this year, and and Holtz view it as the better player. So and I think that's you know one of those weird timing things where Sogard was just signed so early on in free agency and coming off a career year. Does it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what's a million dollars, but did the Brewers slightly reach for Sogard? I think, yeah, that kind of validates that point. But, yeah, as you mentioned, he had a good year, especially at the plate last year. As Bruce Math, Brew Maths has pointed out on Twitter, when the signing first happened, Holt has gotten more aggressive early on counts, especially on the first pitch, compared to earlier on in his career. So I think that's exciting. It kind of kind of goes against the trend of Brewer players, but we'll kind of see how that pans out this year. And then you're right; he can do a little bit of everything. I mean, the interesting part about him is he has the ability to play outfield and not like be a liability out there, which I think makes Ben Gamble's situation a little bit more interesting. And 
It obviously makes the infield situation more interesting. And in fact, in terms of him doing everything, my early spring training analysis so far is when I was watching Brock Holt play today, he turned a crazy double play where he was covering third base. I believe he was playing short or maybe playing out of position at third. I can't remember. But there was uh, a runner on first base, and the, the the batter hit a little dribbler. So the pitcher threw the runner out at first, and the guy in, who was on first originally had wheels, so was trying to run to third base, and Holt was covering, sprinting towards third base still, so caught the ball away from him and tagged the runner out between his legs with all his momentum going forward. So uh, the guy sounds like, you know, especially early on, when I've seen him play, he's, he's going to be a thrill to watch play. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how the Brewers use him this year. Yeah, and that was interesting bringing up the Sogard. I think you're right. Timing is 100% the reason behind that. Um, anytime you go this late into free agency, you're going to get a deal on a player. This early on is typically player-friendly deals. Later on in free agency is typically team-friendly deals. No matter what sport you are in, pretty much throughout that is the case. And that's what you see for this Brock Holt, Eric Sogard situation i think overall um brock holt like you said is a better player but you are right eric sogard did have a pretty phenomenal year last year with more uh plate appearances so he had to be more consistent for longer so that part of it looks really good um and i'm i'm excited to see what they do and the fact that they have both of these players that can do a lot of similar things it's that you have a lot of tricks up your sleeve for a lack of a better term um or phrase because there's if one guy isn't working you can put the other guy out there and the fact that if they are both working you can figure out a way to have both of them out on the field so whether it means you know say ryan braun is struggling in the outfield or someone is struggling in the outfield or someone gets hurt you can put brock Holt out in the outfield and then you can have eric sogard at third or wherever you find the best spot for him um i just think like i said before i think the floor of this team gets a little bit better i don't think the ceiling is any better with this signing but i do think the basement of this team is a lot better after really both of those signings in sogard and holt yeah, and all these signings at infielders is is just kind of crazy to me because if you look at the current 40-man roster, the Brewers have 10 infielders on there, 11 if you count Ryan Braun. And, you know, I figured this late in the season, maybe Stearns would go for, you know, a pitcher or something like that because we only have 19 pitchers on the starting or on the 40-man roster. And uh, I don't know that I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen a team with this many infielders on it before. I mean, granted, I don't think it's going to stay this way, but it, it certainly is a cluster of players. So when I, when I saw that Taylor Williams was DFA'd, I, I think this was kind of the more surprising move, you know, of the signing because Taylor Williams is granted another option this year. So he had the ability to shuttle between San Antonio and the majors and, I guess the Brewers just said, "Well, we've seen, a, we've had enough chances with you, and it, it, we'll take our chances <laughs> and go somewhere else." But I mean, Taylor Williams is an expendable player, and you know you can find someone else to probably do better than what he's proved so far. So 
uh, you know, with this, with all the numbers and in infielders, let's kind of shift to some general infield talk. Um, I had this epiphany earlier this week, Trevor, and when I was thinking about first base, because I was listening to another podcast and they were kind of talking about the importance of specifically defense at first base, like with a launch angle revolution is first base defense valued as much because people are putting the ball in the air more. And, and I was like, okay, well, let's put this in the Brewers defensive system. The Brewers tend to shift a lot. So situations like it's, it's kind of funky as a first, as any infielder really in the Brewers, Brewers organization, you got to play, you know, you're not just going to have one set spot. You're going to be moving around, and you got to know how to handle all these things accordingly, which I think is part of the reason why Ryan Braun got overwhelmed so much in 2018 when he f- tried to play first base the first time. So, you know, this year he said he's felt a lot better with those situations, and then I was like, all right, well, you know, I really, really just don't want this to be Ryan Braun's last year in Milwaukee. So I really hope he's the answer at first base because we've gone through so many first basemen since Prince Fielder left. I mean, we had Matt Gamble, who was derailed by injuries after Fielder left. Juan Francisco was there for a little bit, if you remember him. Mark Reynolds, Adam Lind, Chris Carter, and then kind of the Eric Thames, Jesus Aguilar duo. So, granted, Ryan Braun isn't going to play, you know, for like five-plus more years. I would not expect that at all, but... I, I kind of am hoping for him to be the answer at first for the late for the later stages of his career. But what are your thoughts on Braun playing first, and if you think it's going to work out or not? <sighs> I I have lost a lot of confidence in Braun's ability to play anywhere in the infield and really be a great player defensively. I've no I know he's made some plays out in the outfield and things like that, but just defensively, that's just not his strong suits he is through and through a hitter and that's what he's good at that's what he's been good at his whole career I personally do not have a lot of faith in him at first base but at the same time I think first base is a position that could be beneficial for him in regards to it's just I don't want to say an easy position but it's easier for uh, an athlete like him to play first base then it, it's going to be to for him to be playing the outfield because he's not going to have to run as much there's different things there I think he could be effective but I just I haven't seen it from him so I don't have a lot of confidence in it um, I really think and maybe I am overestimating Smoke's ability but I think he is going to be really effective and the fact that he is a switch hitter is going to be huge and I just think hopefully moving him to Miller Park is going to be enough to get him going. I know last year wasn't good, but if you look at career numbers, 231, you'd like to see that a little bit higher. But, you know, if he, he hits 231s and 25 home runs, which is not out of the question for him, especially at Miller Park, you got to think that's a win. And then you just kind of have to be decent at first, like you talked about. It's not like... You need someone that is going to be a gold glove caliber player there. You just need someone that is going to make the plays that need to be made. And I think Justin Smoke is going to be able to do that. At least I hope so. So I have more faith in him. Um, But I do hope because 
I do love Ryan Braun. I hope he can figure it out, and I hope he can get consistent playing time. But just right now, I don't have a lot of faith in that. All right. I I understand the skepticism, and I was trying to think, like, all right, what's one thing that we could, like, evaluate Braun on? You know, what what's going to determine or what make or break if he's – you know, labeled as a good first baseman this year. And I was thinking back to when Moose shifted to second last year. And, you know, the one thing he struggled with was turning the occasional double play, which, you know, wasn't too big of a deal, but it didn't cost the Brewers a whole lot. But he, he figured it out after a while before shifting back to third due to Travis Shaw sucking. But, you know, with Ryan Braun, if, if he's got the situation parts of baseball down, you know, even if he doesn't make the right read 100% of the time, at least, you know, securing an out that way. Um, you know, I think the one thing to be looking for is probably like, how well can he scoop the baseball? I mean, we know Arcia has a cannon. Urias is, we, we don't know what he looks like defensively. I mean, he's, he's good, but I don't think he's as good as Arcia. And, and I think that's to be the one thing that kind of makes or breaks it for me is how well can he scoop the baseball and make those tougher plays where he maybe has to stretch out and, you know, something that's out of the ordinary. Cause I mean, you think, think about like fielding a ground ball and range. I, I don't think that's going to be too big of an issue, but it's more, more of that smaller stuff that I'm going to view this as a success or not. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. It'll be, it'll definitely be interesting. It's one of many, many position battles, especially in the infield to keep an eye on. <laughs> Certainly is. And, and speaking of that, that's a good segue to, who the hell's going to play third base? Do you have any idea? I mean, we, we kind of talked about it last week, right? L- let me know if I am wrong in any of this, but the options at this point are Jed Jerko, Ryan Healy, Brock Holt, um, and Eric Sogard. Am I missing anyone? Did I mess any of that up? Uh, nope. You got them all. Okay. So... I think we kind of settled on Jed Jerko last week or two podcasts ago, whenever that was that we talked about um, that position. I I feel like that's going to be the player that's going to get the nod opening day, and he's going to get the first chance. But it, I do not think at this point in his career, Jed Jerko is someone who is going to be an everyday starter at third. I think the Brewers want him to be, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be that player this year. Um, And that's why there's so many different options. But I think the Brock Holt signing really puts Jed Jerko on notice. In my opinion, I think he is going to be the one that if he, if Jed Jerko gets kind of first dibs, Brock Holt's going to be that other guy. And conveniently they, bat on opposite sides of the plate. Uh, Jed Jerko bats on the right side. Brock Holt bats on the left. So there might be your starting platoon with those two players. Um, that's where I'm going going into opening day, at least as of right now. I guess there's still a lot of time left before opening day actually starts. But as of right now, I think that is my kind of go-to platoon because I because there is so many options, I feel like they have to platoon it to see who is going to who is going to figure it out? If one of those players doesn't end up going very well, say Jed Jerko can't figure it out, um, well, here comes Ryan Healy. If uh, Brock Holt can't figure it out, well, here comes Eric Sogard. I don't love the idea of Sogard playing third. Um, I know he could do it. I don't love it. the idea of him playing third, though. I just view him 
maybe it's because of his time as a brewer, but I just view him more as a middle infielder type. But the convenience is there with Holt and Sogard as lefties and Healy and Jerko as righties. You have options to kind of mess with that platoon if and when you need to. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the batter handedness. And yeah, I think in terms of platooning that way, because I mean, you're, you're going to see more righties than lefties, most likely in a, in a given season. So that would mean Holt and Sogard would get more opportunities than Jerko by, by this standard. But neither one of these guys, Holt or Sogard, are power hitters. <laughs> Brock Holt hit three home runs last year. Eric Sogard hits, they hit 13, but that's the first time he's at over 10 in his career. And Brock Holt, through his eight-year career, granted he didn't get a lot of plate appearances in 2012 and 2013 at 72 apiece those years, um, but he has a career home run number of 23. So he is definitely not a power guy. Um, you know, who knows, maybe Miller Park changes that because, as we know, it's a pretty hitter-friendly park, especially for lefties, so we'll see, but I don't expect him to hit 25 home runs, um, but hopefully we see a little bit of a jolt in that number um, for Holt. I really hope so, but you look at his career numbers at 23 home runs in his eight-year career, yeah, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to get a lot of home runs, so hopefully he's a guy you can put first or second in in the line up and get you some base runners for Yelich and, and the rest of the guys, or maybe he's your nine hitter as your second leadoff. Maybe that's an option as well. Yeah. If Miller Park makes Holt and Sogard power hitters, that's by far the magic, most magical Houdini trick that's ever been performed. <laughs> <coughs> Juice balls. Yeah. Well, that that's it too. I mean, Miller Park did turn Christian Yelich into a two-time NL batting champ, but that that's a little different because he had a lot more potential than these two guys. So if we get, yeah, I don't know, even 20 home runs between these two would probably be pretty successful, I think. But uh, if, if you look at all these other infielders, Trevor, because it's impossible for us to know who on earth is going to play third base, you look at these other 11 infielders including Ryan Braun in this and if you had to rank them in terms of who do you think is going to get the most at bats to the least at bats how would you do that what would your order be I'm gonna assume healthiness throughout the infield that's not gonna happen but let's just assume that for this um first and foremost Keston has to be out there as often as you can, maybe rest day here and there. But if he's healthy, he's got to be out there. After that, I think it gets kind of hairy because who's going to get the majority of the playing time at shortstop? Is it going to be Arcia? Is it going to be um, Luis Uris? Like, who who is going to play there? Um, we already talked about third place. We have no idea who's playing there. Um, and then first who who are we having play there so I it's gonna be really tough to kind of pick this but I am gonna go Keston oh this is hard and then we'll go Urias or Urias however you say his last name Brock Holt Jed Jerko nope Brock Holt Justin Smoke Jed Jerko 
Orlando Arcia, Eric Sogard. Oh, God, who's next? And then Ryan Healy, and then I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know who the other two infielders. And oh, I forgot about Braun. Shit. I don't know. Put Braun, like, right in there kind of with Justin Smoke area. And then Mark Mathis and Ronnie Rodriguez, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't even know what position those two players play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the bottom's kind of tricky, but... I don't even know if those guys will get major league at bats, so <laughs> we'll we'll see. I don't know. The top of my list here, yeah, obviously. I, I agree with you. I went with Urias second. And then third, I decided to go with Ryan Braun just because I'm going to hold on to my optimism that he's going to be our, our first base of the next couple of years in the future here, and he's going to resign for cheap after this year and play first base again. But I got him third. Uh, fourth, I have Jed Jerko because I, I still kind of hope he kind of wins that third base spot, but we'll see. Fifth, I have Orlando Arcia. I put him down just because I think Urias is going to swing the bat better uh, this year than Orlando Arcia is, and the fact that the Brewers went out and traded for Urias, I think he's going to get get a good amount of opportunities to either succeed or fail, put it that way. Sixth, I went with Brock Holtz, and seventh, I went with Sogard, so kind of your utility guys. I, I put him underneath Arcia just because I think Arcia is going to get a good amount of chances too, as well to hit. Um, Eighth, I went with Smoke, just because I hope hope Braun runs away with this. And then, yeah, 9, 10, and 11 is Healy, Matthias, Rodriguez, just because hopefully they don't get any major league at-bats, because otherwise that means these utility guys that we're hoping on platooning, at least for now, nobody's doing anything, which is what that would mean. So that, that was my 11 list right there. All right, well, let's transition into our Twitter question here of the day from Double D again. This time she wants to know, Orlando Arcia, thoughts on if he is staying? So I'm assuming that's going to mean, do you think he's staying throughout the entire season? Is he going to get traded? Or or what are your thoughts on what to do with him? I mean, I think thoughts if he's staying, meaning he's not going not gonna to pan out this year. So... I don't know if this is going to be bold or not, but I think, and the reason why I put um, Larissa Urias at number two after Keston was I think that he is going to figure it out and he is going to be a player that is going to cause the Brewers to possibly trade Orlando Arcia. And... I, this is at this point, this is a lot of hope and optimism for him that he is going to be able to figure it out and he is going to be good both defensively and at the plate. And I think how he is going to win this job is at the plate. If he's able to do that, I think that is why I am optimistic. And I don't, I, love Orlando RC and I wish him the best but I think in terms of potential for this offensive unit I think you have to hope that Urias is the guy because 
we've seen Orlando Arcia at his best, and we've seen him at his worst, and that worst comes along way more often at the plate than his best does. So I have I have to think offensively. We I want him to not have as many at bats, but at the same time, I think they're going to find ways to get him playing time to try to improve his draft spot stock or trade stock. If he is, if Urias is playing really well, they're going to find ways to get him on the field, especially if he's playing well in those short, whether it's pinch hitting or defensively late in games, maybe they bring him in in the seventh and on, and he gets an at batter to a game that way. Um, but that is my hope. I hope by July 27th or whatever that date is, I hope it's Urias and Orlando Arcia proves enough to a team that maybe we can get a contributing piece down the stretch run of the season, and they think that Orlando Arcia can figure it out and be their shortstop of the future. So at this point, that's what I am hoping for, but I hate saying that because I love watching Orlando Arcia. I love his attitude in the locker room. I love him as a player and just watching him on this team. But it sucks. It's the MLB, and I think at this point, Urias is more of a future outlook, but he can also be more effective right now, and that is what I am hoping for in this 2020 season. Yeah, I got a lot of the similar thoughts on you, and he he does make an interesting trade candidate because he's controllable for two more years. To the best of my knowledge, he has he has one option left if, if teams still wanted to use that, but... Uh, yeah, and you talked about the defensive replacements, and you know it's like if the if the Brewers did end up trading Orlando Arcia, it's not like you know oh well who's gonna come in and be the defensive replacement at the end of games? You know you still have Sogard, you still have Holt, you you have plenty of options to choose from. Yes, you know especially if Hira's defense doesn't improve <laughs> in that regard. So uh, I'll agree with you for now. Very briefly. I just want to mention starting pitchers real quick because I, I think it might irk you a little bit. But Craig Council said that the starters are most definitely going to be Woodruff, Hauser, Lynn Boom, and then Anderson, Brett Anderson, that is. And then the fifth rotation spot is a battle between Eric Lauer and Freddie Peralta. So he did not mention Corbin Burns, which I think is going to irk you, or Shelby Miller, I guess, for that thought. Uh, so uh, how mad are you? How mad are you? Uh, how mad are you at Kirk Council for that? Or do you think Burns will play his way in and it won't even matter? I Actually, I'm not mad at all. Um, wow. I think this is the right move. I think going into the la- last season, I think it was the right move to put Corbin Burns in there. But now hindsight being 2020, that might have been too much for him at the time, even though we thought he was capable of it. He just wasn't. So he needs to prove again that he can get back to the player he was. Maybe he is just a bullpen guy. Maybe he's our next Josh Hader in the making type of high leverage or ultra high leverage type of player. Maybe that's what he is because there was a lot of hope for a couple years that they were going to transition Hader into a starting role, but that never happened. Um, and I think that might be where they're going with Burns. I wouldn't be surprised if they try it, especially if they can't figure out maybe the fourth and fifth starter. you got to hope that at least three of these guys kind of 
cement themselves in the rotation and are good. But if they can't find fourth and fifth guys, you know, Corbin Burns has to be one of those guys you think of. So I I actually like this move from Keg Council. I think getting him back in the bullpen, trying to get his confidence up is a good thing. And then you figure it out. You try to figure out, you know, maybe if one of the guys can't figure it out, you transition whoever loses that fifth rotation spot. You transition them to the fifth spot, bring that other guy back, and then put Burns in the long reliever role and see if he can be as effective as I'm hoping he's going to be in a different role in the bullpen. Or maybe they're going to start him in long relief. But if he continues to be effective in that role, then I think they can transition him. But if they kind of start him more as a inning here, inning there type of pitcher, I I think I'm okay with that because I saw how effective he was in the bullpen and that being his only role. And then you threw in the starting pitching, even though I want him to be a starting pitcher, and he couldn't just couldn't handle it. I hope he can get back to that. I hope he can be a starting pitcher. Um, but if we get 2018 Corbin Burns in the bullpen paired with Josh Hader, hopefully Corey Knable comes back effective. Hopefully Bobby Wall can be effective. Hopefully Ray Black can figure it out. If if you pair them all together and they all figure it out and they're all healthy, that could have 2018 rumblings of that bullpen. So I am okay with this. I think first and foremost, you got to let the kid figure it out. And I think the bullpen is the way to do that, not the starting rotation. Yeah, I, I actually like your plan, and especially for Corbin Burns, you know, a guy who throws a lot of fastballs and a lot of sliders. It, bullpen kind of suits that well, you know, being that two-pitch pitcher. I mean, that's what separated Josh Hader from ever being a starter was he just he didn't have a third pitch, and he barely had a second pitch last year for that matter. <laughs> so, yeah, let's keep him in the bullpen, and, you know, if they use him in long relief, for some instances, and he excels there, yeah, and then proves it, like you said, maybe maybe it's worth a consideration if depending how the rotation is looking. But yeah, good plan. I'd I'd say you are you are exceeding my baseball manager expectations right there, Trevor. That that was very well said. So <laughs> we will uh, wrap up the podcast here. Just a couple injury updates. Uh, Jacob Nottingham had x-rays after the first spring training game. After being hit by a pitch, they were negative. So he'll be playing again. Luis Urias started playing catch on Saturday, February 22nd. No timetable for when he's going to start hitting yet, but hopefully... Hopefully pretty soon, you know, you'd hope by early part of March he's hitting. That would certainly make his forecast for opening day look a lot better. And then we'll leave you with this nice little bombshell of, oh, Brandon Woodruff hit 98 miles per hour on his first fastball today. So, boom! Welcome back, Brandon Woodruff. Spring is in the air. I love it. So let's end on that note. Make sure you guys are checking us out on Patreon. You can sign up for as little as two, five, or ten dollars a month. Each level gets you certain privileges or extra content, bonus podcasts, or the ten dollar one gets you into a group chat on Packer Game Days. So it extends to our Packers Trilogy Podcasts and Bucks Trilogy Podcasts as well. But for little as two dollars, you can be a recognized Patreon and get question priority so make sure you check all that out but until next time we'll see you later brewer fans trust in sterns